0: Thank you for being here this evening, and we invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Samuel 11. Now, the reason we're talking about this tonight is because this has been our daily Bible reading this past week. We're a little bit beyond what we will um, cover tonight. But since I felt that a lot of us were familiar with it and very familiar with it recently, we're going to seek to try to go over this, seek to try to look at a couple of aspects of this together. We are together a limited amount of time. But we are trying to encourage each other in this time we are together to seek the Lord and to make His Word a part of our everyday, every moment life. And so it is a blessed thing to join together in reading the Scripture, uh, even if we're each doing that individually. And one of the best-known stories in all of biblical literature, yea, all of world literature, is David and Bathsheba. It's even referenced in Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter as it refers to it in the context of being the most notable story of adultery in world history. The king was prosperous and successful and all his foes are being defeated at a time of the year when his army is out to battle. He is on the roof and he looks down from the roof and he sees a beautiful woman bathing he has many wives, many concubines, but he can't simply let this go. He sends and inquires about her. He finds out she is the daughter of a liar, who is one of his mighty men, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who is also one of his mighty men. Instead of dropping the matter, repenting of his attitude of heart, he sins and takes her. He commits adultery with her. Now she sends him a message and says, I am pregnant. David makes a desperate effort to try to conceal what he's done. He calls Uriah up from the battlefield. And he asks him, How's Joab doing? How are the people doing? How's everything going with the battle? He sends Uriah a present after he leaves from being with him and eating with him. And tells him to go home and to be with his wife. But he will not go home to be with his wife. He says in 2 Samuel 11 and verse 11 when asked by David, why didn't you go home? Why weren't you there with your wife? He said the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in an open field shall I go to my wife to eat and drink and lie with go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife by your life and the life of your soul I will not do this Now that should have hit David Should have hit him because that's the same kind of thing that he said when he wanted to build the ark, wanted to build the house of the Lord to begin with. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, in verses 1 and 2. I live in a better house than the Lord lives in. And his conscience bothered him. And now Uriah's is the same way. David that night seeks to make him drink too much thinking maybe knocking down his inhibitions he will go home to be with his wife but still he doesn't and when David thinks there's no other way to cover his sin he writes a letter and sends it by the hand of Uriah to transport to Joab and the letter says you put Uriah in the midst of the most heated battle and you withdraw from him and you let him be killed. Now, that says either a couple of things. First of all, David knows Uriah cannot read or David knows that Uriah is so faithful that if he says this message is for Joab, he'll never look back. He takes the message to David, takes the message from David and hands it to Joab. Not knowing that it is his death sentence. And there is a fierce battle. And Uriah is in the midst of the most valiant warriors at the most dangerous position. And he is shot with an arrow and killed. The message comes to David. And David says, don't let Uriah be discouraged Excuse me. I apologize. If I mess up telling this story, always reading it is better than my telling, okay? David says, Don't let Joab be discouraged. Don't let Joab be discouraged. The sword devours one as well as the other. This wasn't an accident, this wasn't a mistake. This was a calculated hit by the king against one of his most faithful warriors. But he gives this message. You tell Joab, don't be discouraged. The sword devours one as well as the other. And after this thing has happened, David sins for the wife of Uriah. Notice how that's worded in verse 26. He sins for the wife of Uriah. She becomes his wife. The Bible records many hideous and horrible events without comment. But after this series of events, verse 27, chapter 11, ends with these words The thing is. That David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. David married to Bathsheba when he committed adultery with her and killed her husband to cover up the deed. The king heard cases as being the leader of the people. The king was all three branches of government, as we define them, wrapped into one. He was the highest judge in the land. And so it would not have been unusual for him to hear a case like he heard on this occasion. Where Nathan the prophet appears to him and says, There were two men in the city. One was rich and the other was poor. And the rich man had many herds and many flocks. But the poor man had one little ewe lamb. It was brought up as a member of the family. It ate at their table. It slept in their bed. It was like a child to them. And there came a person, a traveler to this rich man. And when the traveler came to the rich man, instead of taking one of his many herds and many flocks to feed, the traveler he goes to the poor man and takes his ewe lamb, and David's anger burned. To him, this was unbelievable. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing shall surely die, because he has done this thing and he has not had any compassion, and he will make restitution fourfold. Now, the statement about making restitution fourfold, that is what the law literally said in Exodus 22 and verse 1. When he says the man who has done this thing deserves to die, he's stating his personal assessment on the matter. And Nathan the prophet says to the king, you're the man. You're the man. Listen to what the Lord says. The Lord has taken you and made you king of the land. He has given all your master's wealth and all your master's wives into your hand. If that had been too little for you, he would have done more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And you've taken his wife. To be your wife. Nathan says in verse 13, David says, Excuse me, to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Friend, do not underplay that confession. Look how many people in the Bible were confronted with sin and were just as guilty and still denied it or still blamed the person who's accusing. It's a profound thing when a person acknowledges guilt and sin. And David did on this occasion that God says to him because you have done this thing and have caused the enemies of God to blaspheme he says I have taken away your sin you shall not die adultery was punishable by death according to Leviticus 18 but David is not going to experience the full consequences of his sin the Lord is not going to take his loving kindness completely away from David but God does state in 2 Samuel chapter 12 in verses 10 through 14 God states that because you have done this thing he said the sword will never depart from your house and I'm going to raise up evil against you out of your own house and he says your enemy your neighbor is going to take your wives and sleep with them in the sight of all Israel and the child that is born to Bathsheba is going to die now what we have done is simply tell the story. We're going to do a couple of things with that. We're going to continue to tell the story. We're going to emphasize first the consequences of sin. We're going to have a point beyond this. I'm asking you to listen as carefully as you can and let the things that you have read this past week reverberate in your mind. But God is emphasizing to David and teaching through him to all of us some powerful truths. Forgiveness is possible for the worst of offenses. But forgiveness does not remove the consequences of sin. It may restore a relationship with God. But there may be ill effects from things that we have done. And we want to talk about a few of these as we continue to tell the story of the life of David. First of all, the child born to Bathsheba dies. When David is told the child is sick, he fasts, he mourns, he doesn't eat anything. They try to get him To eat, to go on with life, he refuses. And finally, the child dies. David sees some of the servants whispering. He thinks he sees, thinks he knows what has happened. And he says, is the child dead? And they said, yes. He gets up. The Bible tells us that he got up, that he changed his clothes, that he cleaned himself, so he washed himself. He came to the house of God and he worshipped and eats food and his servants are mystified. Why, why is it that when the child was alive, you fasted and you mourned and now that he is dead, you get up and eat? Because he says... I ask, who knows? Maybe the Lord will be gracious to me. And maybe the Lord will spare the child. David will say at another point in his life, maybe in our reading today, let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercies are great. But don't let me fall into the hand of man. Who knows? The Lord may be merciful to me. And the Lord may spare the child. But since he's died, can I bring him back? He cannot come to me, but I will return to him. As horrible as that consequence was. That is the only consequence of his sin that is experienced in 2 Samuel that doesn't involve an additional wrong act by someone that's near to you. So as horrible as it is, it may be the least of them all. In 2 Samuel 13, Amnon is David's oldest son, and we assume, in line to be king. And Amnon has a half-sister, David's daughter, by another mother. He has a half-sister by the name of Tamar, who is extremely Beautiful, And again, he cannot take his mind off of this one who is forbidden. And instead of looking at all the women in Israel who would have been glad to be marrying him, he focuses and obsesses over her. Jonadab says, why is it that you're so sad day after day uh, when I come to visit you? And, and he tells him the reason. And Jonadab, his friend, tells him that what he needs to do is he needs to pretend to be sad sick and to have David come and visit him and have Tamar make those special cakes that she's famous for apparently and send everyone out of the house and take advantage of her diabolical advice that he gives. Diabolical advice. And yet Amnon follows this exactly. He acts like he's sick. David visits. He says, can you have Tamar come and make these special kind of cakes that I like? And she makes him these cakes. He sends everyone out of the house. She comes to feed him. He grabs her. She tries to talk him out of it. She tries to... Tell him how foolish of an act this was. He will hear none of it and takes advantage of her and rapes her. And the Bible says that after he did this, the hatred he had with her for her was greater than the love he felt for her. Now, I think that's a powerful lesson in itself. He thinks he cannot live without her and now he takes her and he uses her in this way and as a result... He can't stand her anymore. He said, Get her out of my sight. Now you think about it. a man after God's own heart having a family where the king to be the oldest son rapes a sister. That wasn't the of that. Absalom says to his sister, Amnon did this, didn't he? He said, you come and live in my house. She lives in his house. Apparently never married. He waits a couple of years. Doesn't say a word to Amnon. Good or bad? Nothing. But after a couple of years, he says, Have Amnon come down to a sheep-shearing festival? He, he says to his father, have, I want all the king's sons, I want you and all the king's sons to come down to a sheep-shearing festival that I'm going to have. Oh, David says, No, no, I, I, I can't. go. He says, well, can your sons come? And if all of you can't come, can Amnon come? And David says, why are you asking about Amnon? Absalom tells his servant, you make Absalom's heart merry, Abnon's heart married with wine. And when it is, you strike it and you kill it. And so Absalom, David's third oldest son, kills his half-brother for raping his sister, what. sin may not be worth it young people sin may not be worth it even if you can be forgiven middle-aged people older people sin may not be worth it even after forgiveness absalom runs in second samuel 13 verse 37 he runs the king of Geshur. What is interesting about that is this is his grandfather on his mother's side. If you look back at 2 Samuel 3 verse 3, this is his grandmother on his mother's his grandfather. Forgive me again. His grandfather on his mother's side. So he's running to his mother's father for refuge after he has killed Amnon in the land of Israel. He's away for three years. Then he's invited back. And then after that time he's invited back, then the text tells us, That David doesn't let him see his face for two more years. Five years have gone between their last meeting. And Absalom determines he's going to be he. The man whose name means my father is peace starts a civil war against his father. He proclaims himself king. And one of his first acts as king. He gets in 2nd Samuel chapter 16 to the city of Jerusalem. He asks Ahithophel, "What is your advice?" Ahithophel said, "You take a roof, take a tent, and you put it on the roof. And you take the concubines that your father has left to care for his house. You take them and you commit adultery with them on that roof. God said, you've done this thing secretly, David. Your neighbor is going to take your wives and sleep with them in the sight of all Israel. And by the way, one of the ways you showed you were king in the ancient Near East, Was to take the wives of the former king. This is a political statement. This is rebellion against David. This is a proclamation that he is no longer ruler. That I am ruler. And it is an insult. It is a slap in his face. And David would have to acknowledge. That he deserved all of it. When Absalom hears Ahithophel with a plan and Ahithophel says, I have a plan. He says, what you need to do, Absalom, is let me go tonight, take 12,000 men with me. We'll fight with David, I'll fight with him alone, I'll kill him, I'll bring all the people back to you. He has enough sense, Ahithophel has enough sense to realize that if there are two claimants to the throne, all you've got to do... You don't got to beat his whole army. You've just got to eliminate the other person who's claiming to be king. And then, by default, you're king. That is Ahithophel's plan. And I think one of the saddest statements is a statement that often goes overlooked. Is when Ahithophel gives his plan of going that night, of catching David when they're not aware, and killing him. The Bible says in verse 4 of 2 Samuel 17, the plan, please. Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Absalom would be perfectly at peace with his father dying in such a way. By God's mercy and by God frustrating these plans, that plan didn't was not carried out. But instead Absalom gathers all his forces for war. Gets David. If you're the king, someone's tried to take your throne. What kind of speech do you give to your men? David's speech isn't typical. He says deal gently with Absalom. What a speed. Deal gently with a young man, Absalom. As Absalom was riding along that day on a mule, the Bible says the forest devoured more than a sword did. And I think Absalom's story is an illustration. Absalom's head is caught in the thick branches of an oak. His mule runs off. He is suspended in the air, helpless, unable to defend himself. One of the men says this and sees this and tells this to Joab. Joab hears this and says, why didn't you kill him? The soldier gives, I think, a pretty good response to that question. But Joab goes and kills him. The news is going to be sent to David. Ahiamaz wants to run. I want to go. I want to tell the king. Joab says, No, you're not the one to deliver this news today. He knows the king is not going to be excited for the message. And he chooses a Cushite to run and carry the message. Ahiamaz insists, Let me go. Let me tell. Finally, Joab says, Go. Run, Ahiamaz. Go tell the story. But as David has a watch out on the wall looking, and he says, I see a man running by himself. And the messenger says, if he's running by himself, he's bringing good news. He says, I see a second man running by himself. He says, if he's running by himself, he's bringing good news. He says, The running of the first man is like the running of a man. He says, He's a good man. He's bringing good news. Are you, are you getting the theme here? David is desperately trying to convince himself that this story is going to have a happy ending. And when Ahiamaz gets there first, and he thinks he has good news of a victory. And he comes before the king. And he says, Blessed is the Lord your God who's delivered all these men who've lifted their hand against the king. The king has one question. Is Absalom saved? A high mass cannot bear it to give the answer. I, I saw a commotion what happened stand here the Cushite comes and he's asked the same question is the young man Absalom say his response is marvelous he doesn't mention Absalom he doesn't mention that but you can't miss his message let all who rise against you for evil. be yes, that young man. And the Bible says that David was deeply moved. And he went to his upper chamber and wept. And said, O oh, Absalom, O oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Would that I had died instead of you. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He calls him my son at least five times in that account. let this story sink deeply in the minds and hearts of each of us. When we are presented with a temptation to do something we know is wrong. We know it's wrong. Remember that even after forgiveness sometimes consequences of sin remain. But that's not where we want to stop the lesson. Do you remember what Joseph said to his brothers? He said, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good amazes me is that God can take all our sins and all our failures and all our rebellion and all our chaos and somehow weave this and to present salvation that God can bring salvation out of our sin and our foolishness, and our weakness. And there's just so many ways you see this in this story. And by the way, on Tuesday night, in the psalm class, every class you'll make some points about how this psalm applies to Jesus that I've missed. I try to act casual. I try to act like it wasn't that new of an idea to me. But sometimes you've completely floored me with things that I then went on to include in the podcast without giving you all any credit. But I'm kind of doing it here. So some of the things I've missed, feel free to point them out. Feel free to point them out. But isn't it striking? David is not succeeded by Amnon David is not succeeded by Absalom, David is not succeeded by Adonijah though he would wish greatly that that were the case, David is going to be succeeded as king by Solomon Solomon is a result of the relationship between David and Bathsheba when this child died in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Bible tells us in verse 24 and verse 25 that David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went in and lay with her and gave birth to a son and he named him Solomon now the Lord loved him it is through Solomon that the Lord would come out of this relationship that brought so much sin so much disaster and so much chaos is also brought salvation It also brings salvation. When David was fleeing the city of Jerusalem, in 2 Samuel 15, in verse 30, he went up to the Mount of Olives. And he wept as as he went. His head was covered and he walked barefoot. And all the people were weeping too in His triumphal entry when Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. In verse 37, He approached near the descent of the Mount of Olives. In verse 41, when He approached Jerusalem, He saw the city And he wept over it. David wept. As Jerusalem has rejected him. It's king. And Jesus wept. As Jerusalem. Rejects. The greatest of all kings. Whom David only dimly foreshadowed. Remember how we said in chapter 18, David keeps trying to convince himself that this is good news. Do you know the word that was used there in the Greek translation of the Old Testament? You ever heard the word euangelion? It is the word for gospel. The word for gospel means good news. David is desperately trying to convince himself that good news is waiting, that good news is coming when he's going to hear the death of his son but God gave his son to die for rebellious sinners we are all Absalom in this story and God gave his son to die for us so that we might be saved and the other day uh, on the comments Brad worded that better than I did there, if you want to look back at those comments. Years ago, it's been over 20 years ago, and I was teaching a Bible class, and one of the people in the class was, was a preacher who was there that night, and I guess I wasn't expecting this statement from him. Especially in the tone, because we were going through 2 Samuel 11 and 12 in the Bible class. And he said, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. David is sin. David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. David has had Uriah the Hittite killed. And here, his innocent child, who has not done any wrong, is suffering for what he did. And I said, you're right. You're right. That's not fair. It's not fair. But I'll tell you something else. That's not fair. It's not fair that you would rebel against God. And that I rebelled against God. In that the son of David, the innocent son of David, who not done evil, that he died for what you've done. And what I've done. I said, that's not fair. He's, of course, understanding the point fully by then. And acknowledging that he misspoke That's not fair. But that is amazing. would give His Son to die for rebels like we are. And there's a day. It is not in this world in the midst of our problems. But there is a day where the consequences of our sins will be. Completely and eternally. And for that, we can only say, thank God who brings salvation out of our sin and our rebellion. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God. We thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our way, to protect us from harm, to save us from evil, to rescue us from sin. We pray that we might be warned from these words, from your words about the dangers of sin. But that we might also see the glory of salvation. That we might see how amazing your grace is. And how you have provided for people who have rebelled against your rule. Forgiveness, salvation, and cleansing. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Hold us in your hands. And bring us home to that day. Bring us all home to that day in your presence. Where all consequences of sin will be defeated. In Jesus we pray. Amen. I appreciate your attention. God has opened a door of forgiveness to the worst of sinners like you like me and he has given his son to die for people who have been defied if you believe that Jesus died and rose again and you're willing to turn from your sins and repentance and to be immersed into Christ for of sins we invite you to come